This is Rumble, and I'm Michael Moore. This is Rumble with Michael Moore, and I welcome you uh, to my podcast today. I am. Um, I, I want to just jump right into this because um, we are in day six and seven of an event that we never thought we would see happen in this country when it comes to First Amendment rights. Um, I do realize that we are coming to you during this weekend at the end of a brutal week in Minneapolis. Um, and if you haven't had a chance to listen to my podcast about that, um, that I recorded on Friday morning, um, please uh, listen to it. Um, it, the episode's called Don't Be a Bystander. But today, um, we're going to talk about something, the three of us, um, that, uh, we have not spoken to you about all week since it happened on, on the uh, 25th of May. This would be this past Monday, Memorial Day. And that is um, Planet of the Humans. This film that I executive produced, written and directed by Jeff Gibbs, produced by Ozzy Center, um, up, up for free on my YouTube channel, free of charge to everybody and anybody has been viewed nearly eight and a half million times on YouTube. Um, Became the instant documentary feature um, hit of 2020. I, I don't think there's any documentary feature that's been seen by that many people. If it, if it had been in theaters, if the box office for, eight and a half uh, million people would be almost a hundred million dollar box office, which would make it the second largest grossing documentary of all time. So, um, but that we were going to do that in the fall. That's how we were going to release the film. But uh, when the pandemic hit and because we just couldn't wait any longer, the the issues that we're raising in this film are so important. Um, we decided to release it now immediately for free so that everybody could have a chance to see it. And now um, it you can't see it because um, of a, essentially an outside attack on the film, um, a, a, uh, a company that uh, uh, we'll get into uh, filed a claim against the film for four seconds in the film that they said was their copyrighted material. And, um, and of course we only, we either, we either get copyrights for the stuff we show of clips and music, or we, or we fair use it. Uh, our fairly fair use laws in the United States allow us to use so many seconds of a film from, a, from another film or another documentary or whatever news uh, in order for us to be able to tell our story um, and to critique um, the things that we're critiquing in our story. So it's been now six, seven days that um, we have been banned uh, from YouTube because of this four seconds in the film. And I want to bring on uh, my guests here today on Rumble. And they are the writer and director of Planet of the Humans, Jeff Gibbs, and the producer of the film, Ozzy Center. Welcome. Ozzy and Jeff, how are you? Great, thank you. Great, thanks, Mike. Um, now, now, where are you guys? I'm I'm recording here 
in the uh, guest bedroom of my apartment. <laughs> I'm in San Francisco. You're in San Francisco. Okay. And where, where are you, Jeff? I'm uh, in the woods of Northern Michigan and uh, looking out onto the patio and I've got uh, birds and uh, some stray crickets. Yes. Um, that's what we're hearing. The crickets of Northern Michigan. The famed crickets of Northern Michigan. People come far and wide to experience the crickets of Northern Michigan and our uh, water. Oh, I'll t- well, I'll tell you, the sound makes me homesick, frankly. I uh, Listen to that. Oh, I love that. I think it's important to say, before we dive into what's going on with the movie, it's important to remind ourselves that we just learned, however difficult and under these circumstances that should not exist with the pandemic, we did learn that we can slow down, that we can live more locally, that we can, you know, people are complaining, oh, it didn't make it di- that big a difference in uh, carbon dioxide emissions. Well, it made a difference. And that difference has only been made at other moments like this uh, during World War II, uh, during the last recession. And that's a big part of why I wanted to make this movie is, is we've got to get a plan. And the plan we have now is not working. And, um, you know, so unfortunately, it took a pandemic uh, to do this, but um, let's not forget this coincides with a period in which we are discovering that if we choose, we can change very quickly, not without controversy and not without difficulty. But um, so that's, um, the, you know, I wouldn't have made this movie if I didn't have a lot of hope that we could change. A lot of despair that we're heading towards a cliff. And in fact, also, the, the cliff is, is rushing towards us, but yet, we're the humans for better or for worse, and we are capable of changing. Uh, so I just wanted to be clear about that. This is a movie, to me, as uh, much despair as we might feel, I think there's some f- freeness with actually feeling it and talking about it and the discussions that we wanted to bring up with the film that have been happening all around the world. Um, through that process comes hope. Um, but that hope right now is being... Uh, stuffed out. And it's ironic that the country's going to try to go back to normal, go back to our old ways. Um, and uh, the movie that says maybe we shouldn't be doing that, maybe the ways even of our own environmental uh, side have not been working. Uh, mm-hmm. The both is being sort of snuffed out at the same time, at least temporarily. Why do you think that the film um, has done so well uh, I never expected eight and a half million people uh, to be watching this uh, feature length documentary, um, especially in the middle of the pandemic. It just, um, you know, it's not light entertainment. And yet um, it just seems, I mean, the response has been overwhelming. Uh, the comments on YouTube, on social media and whatever. Um, um, and I'm talking about comments from just the people the viewers, the people that have watched it. Uh, um, we'll, we'll talk about the so-called critics in a, in a minute, but um, it's just, it's just, I don't, what you, what you guys must have some thoughts about why, why people have responded so passionately um, in favor of this film. I think part, it's a built up demand. You know, it's like there have been people, the, the film is more than just one thing. The, the part of it, that the film that has to do with, the time we're in is so much more for, for more profound than climate change alone. Climate change, of course, is an emergency. It, of course, could by itself do us in. But 
I think people sense that this is much bigger. We're in a much bigger story than that. And the story of our, uh, our entire human presence and what's happening with this, this, this planet we live on. Um, but, and I think people have been sensing and many people have written about, it. in fact, some, a couple guys from Google uh, that were in charge of the renewable energy program there wrote an article several years ago saying, this is not going to save us. It's not going to work. And that just the, disappears. The, the, this being what? The, this being what? Renewable energy is not going to save us from climate change. And of course, it always contains a little bit of hopium in there. Like, well, we'll, we'll maybe we'll invent something else, but all the existing renewable technologies are not going to do it. Um, and then people go, you know, maybe we'll invent something else or maybe we'll have nuclear. But I think there's been a lot of, um, many people have had these same thoughts that we've had. It's just nobody's given voice to them. And you can see why people haven't given voice to them when, when you get attacked right and left viciously uh, for daring to even raise questions. Um, so I think people, my goal was to tell a story about things that you d- usually don't hear about uh, instead of covering the same old talking points. And I think there's a, a desperate need for that, and a desperate sense that something is snapping and we're not on top of it. I don't know, Ozzy, what would... We've got an an incredible amount of gratitude from people. That's what I see in the comments on YouTube. And even after um, seeing people watch it physically, uh, that seems to be the the big response. Uh, And I think that because of that, gratitude for some different story, uh, a different perspective uh, that maybe they've been sensing. uh, People say that oftentimes that they kind of knew something was up. They kind of, they've kind of did some of the math themselves and figured it doesn't quite all seem to mesh, but you know, it seems like a good direction to go in uh, with developing renewable energy and having that be the forefront of the, the climate change change movement. Uh, but I think people were putting together that it wasn't quite all checking out. Uh, and, and the, this film uh, brings a lot to light uh, and helps people see why they had that feeling. And, and they have a lot of gratitude for that. Yeah, a lot of people, they've written on my site uh, and on my social media about um, they kind of had this inkling that maybe something wasn't right. Like, why weren't we winning? Why haven't we been winning the the so-called climate battle? You know, considering we've done all these things, we've got all these solar panels and all these windmills and we've got these electric cars and and we've done all this good work and everybody is, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this thing here and the bottle, it says carbon. It's, this bottle was made, it's carbon neutral. And so I think that uh, uh, you look at this stuff every day and you keep hearing this and you think things, things must be good. But the truth is, is we were told by one of the great leaders of the, the environmental movement, but we were told first by a brave uh, a scientist at NASA, James Hansen who told us, I don't know how many years ago that was when he said, um, if we go past 350 parts per million of carbon in the atmosphere, game over. There's no turning back from that. And we are at 417 parts per million right now. So so if the game is over, if what we were told a decade or so ago is true, if we've screwed up, and even in spite of all of our hybrid cars and everything, we we have not saved Earth. I mean, what I got out of this film, Jeff, from you and, and watching you make this over these years is we're, it's, it's not that we've 
it's not that we've got the necessarily the wrong answers. We're asking maybe the wrong questions. Yeah. You know, I was just thinking about the um, mountaintop removal for wind scene and uh, uh, hopefully people have seen the movie, but if, and if you haven't, you'll get to see it, but it's, uh, this is a, the problem with the, um, the media, the, the environmental coverage being controlled by people who um, have been captured uh, by the dominant story and are entrenched in this. Um, you know, we want, they want us to stay lost in the weeds about efficiencies and, you know, uh, we're going to have this technology and that technology. Well, the reason that scene is in there, first of all, I didn't know what I was going to find when I went to visit Lowell Mountain. And to see what they were doing in the name of installing wind turbines, I was just is in Vermont, right? In Vermont, Loyal Mountain, Vermont. Yep. And when you say mountaintop removal, we know what that means with coal, but you're talking about to put up some wind turbines. They what were they doing? Yeah, so they basically had to blast um, off the tops of these uh, mountains in Vermont and pile up the rubble uh, to make a flat space to capture the wind, and people were devastated that these billion-year-old mountains were going to be crushed for wind turbines that will be up for 10, 20, 30 years, tear them down, maybe pull up, put up some new ones, maybe not. Um, but that that's affecting the habitat, it's affecting the water, and it's just affecting what's sacred to the people there. So that is not there because um, somebody, you know, oh, you know, all the wind turbines in the world are required knocking the tops off mountains. It's a sign we've lost our way. That's what it's a sign of, that we've, in order to get a win, a victory for clean energy, what we're willing to do. So it's an invitation to look deeper into our own psychology as we approach what I think is a, um, a time when we can no longer deny that collapse is real. And we can no longer deny that extinction isn't just a word for all these species we pretend to care about, uh, but perhaps is a word that could be Will, will be considered for the human race. And I know that sounds extreme, but there's a reason young people are using that word extinction and are active around this issue. Because um, it's, you know, if you look at the expansion of our whole human presence, um, this, this dramatic expansion that's happened in the last few hundred years, um, there's a possibility that's not sustainable. And many people believe, not just us, and I think this is another reason for the movie, uh, and Ozzy, you probably have experienced this, this with your book, is that many people have sensed that this industrial civilization, especially at this level of consumption, and at eight, almost 8 billion people, um, is impossible to sustain. Um, and I think that's something that we've always sensed and talked about as environmentalists, but now we've moved away into this story of, uh, oh, technology is going to work it all out. Um, so, um, Ozzy, you know, did, did you have a sense too, that when you were telling your, you know, when you wrote your book, Green Illusions, that people weren't just taking it as a story about renewable energy, but it was a clue to some larger yeah, it's story? A clue to this guy, this idea of productionism is going to solve the problem of human expansion overall and the human presence overall. Um, and it's in, in many ways it's contradictory in the way, one of the ways we've gotten there, which is, uh, a subtext of the film really is that we've allowed our science, the questions that we asked, uh, we'll, we've allowed scientists to reduce the natural world to carbon dioxide measurements. And then we've allowed those carbon dioxide measurements to speak for the natural world as if 
reducing carbon dioxide through renewable energy technologies is going to somehow um, save the planet. Uh, when we're switching from one form of side effects and negative side effects, uh, fossil fuels, to another form uh, of negative side effects through mining and additional, also still fossil fuels. And that's a big, big problem. And it's one that uh, Planet of the Humans tackles head on. But you're not saying that CO2 emissions aren't something that we should be concerned about. No, not that there's something that we shouldn't be concerned about, but that they're, they're a symptom of a larger underlying problem. And as long as we're just treat, treating the symptoms, then mm-hmm. the problem is that we're basically putting Band-Aids on a problem. So how would you describe the overall underlying problem, the overarching problem here, I guess is maybe the way to put it, that yeah, we're not well, talking I, about? What are we not talking about? Well, what we're not talking about is what we see in the historical segments of Planet of the Humans, the whole first third of the film. Uh, for I don't want to ruin it for people who haven't seen it yet, but uh, they basically it, this is the section of the film that basically exposes how the basic technical limitations of green technologies have remained unchanged over time, despite technological development. And so in the end, these technologies are revealed just to be another planet-destroying profit center. And that's not flattering. Uh, and that's what the critics don't want you to see or, or to even think about. You know, it's like um, there's a lot of big turnarounds in this because we've kind of all been lulled into thinking that there's such a thing as kind and gentle technology. You know, our, this phone doesn't look so damaging, does it? It's nice. It's a little bit innocent. And, you know, my new car, or my new electric car, it looks kind of innocent. And that solar panel sitting there looks sort of harmless. And, um, you know, we've been sold this story that we can have our technology and our advancements at, at basically little or no or, or ever lesser cost to the planet. And the reality is that even if we did have zero carbon technologies, um, that they're going to come at a profound cost to the earth. And there will, there's no technology that doesn't require heavy-duty industrial processes, uh, that doesn't require smelting and mining. Uh, you know, it's invisible to us, but right now there's a whole new round of exploitation of um, Native peoples, of people of color, of poor people, indigenous people around the world, especially in the Southern Hemisphere, to produce all of these things, all of these technologies that we all currently enjoy, uh, including be- the microphone I'm talking into and this interface and the uh, the computer, you know, all of this stuff. And um, so green energy is just part of that story. And we're never going to, we're never going to, what are we going to do? Go cut down some, some grass and, you know, so all of this stuff comes from these uh, profoundly, um, it comes from at a cost to the earth and it's all due to ramp up. I was just looking today. There's a, um, a a report that says the next wave of mining is going to be to mine the oceans. Thousands of square miles are just going to be scraped clean. And then plumes of things with like mercury and lead and sediment are going to just waft through the water hundreds of miles. We've only recently discovered that all this life at the bottom of the ocean. And, you know, what? when are we going to have an off switch? When are we going to say enough is enough? Oh, but we're going to recycle it. Well, the movie is an invitation to do your own research. Uh, you know, oh, they got these new technologies. We're going to recycle it. So it's going to be, you know, just a circular economy. Well, go ahead and look up aluminum recycling, and you will see that it's a toxic process that uses way less energy than mining aluminum, but it still requires a lot of energy and has some toxic things that are very difficult to dispose of. 
And some of the technologies don't allow you, the, the aluminum that you produce from recycling is not as pure and o- oftentimes as, the, um, as what you mined. Uh, steel, look up steel recycling or metal recycling, and you'll just see dozens of things will pop up for these toxic issues that come up and vast amounts of energy. And where are these recycling op- operations? Where poor people live and people of color. So, you know, we're, we're trying to find an escape hatch that doesn't exist rather than accept that we're a single species on a finite planet that are, that's hitting limits. The definition of insanity is just to keep going with that, uh, you know, until once collapse is so clear that nobody can de- deny it, it's going to be very hard to pick ourselves up and change direction. Well, it's going to be too late. That's I mean, another I already, way of saying it. Well, I already feel like it's too late, frankly. And, and I'm well aware of just in the films I've done over the years is that people can't see when it's too late because it doesn't look like it's too late. Like you said, I'm looking at this iPhone sitting here on the table and, you know, Jeff, it is, it is quite lovely and it's got a flashlight, you know, it doesn't have a Swiss army knife on it, but it does have a flashlight and other useful things. And I'm glad I've got it right here. But, um, but I think, I remember when I was making my first film, Roger Me, General Motors, about General Motors and Flint. And, and everybody's like, why are you upset? It's still, it's, it made $4 billion last year. It's the richest corporation in the world. There's, there's 50,000 jobs still here in Flint. We lost 30,000, but we still had 50, 50,000. And I just kept hearing this over and over from people. And I just kept saying, I'm going to tell you something. This is going to crash and burn, this thing that you call General Motors. And, um, and industrial America really along with it. Cause it won't be just general motors and, um, geez, I just, I, I remember going through this when the film came out and everybody was like, this is, he's just putting out all this stuff to get everybody all hot and bothered and nothing's going to happen. The auto industry is fine. And, um, and it looked fine except within 19 years. It wasn't fine. And um, and over that period of time, when I couldn't get anybody to talk about this, it got to the point where General Motors crashed and the U.S. government had to bail it out along with Chrysler. And it looked bad then. Then it kind of looked bad. It's like, oh, shit. And so I have experienced this a number of times with my own films where I'm trying to get people to pay attention Things don't look that bad, as I'm trying to say they are in the movie. Well, let me just answer that. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just be honest about this. Now, first of all, you know, Ozzy, you worked in the factory in Flint, right? No, I started out in Kalamazoo. Yeah, I worked Kalamazoo. In- okay, you worked in a factory, but you've you've been you lived in Flint for a while. Yeah. I lived and grew up in one of the roughest neighborhoods of Flint. I mean, the dirt streets you see in Bowling for Columbine, that's my neighborhood. Uh, it was, it was, you know, quite something back then would turn on the tap and brown stuff would come out, you know, uh, once a week or so. And, um, you know, I think we've seen a version of the end of the world. Those of us who are from Flint and, uh, and, uh, I, I love the things that have been happening there that are, you know, where people have been, uh, making a go of it and doing good. But, you know, through our lifetime, we've seen the collapse of an industrial civilization, a, a miniature version of that. And we've seen people poisoned 
hundreds, maybe tens of thousands, a hundred thousand or more people poisoned uh, just recently by the the water issues. Um, so let's say that that it, it is too late. Let's say that we are headed off the cliff. Well, I actually have hope and don't think that's the, the door is closed, but let's say that that's true. You know, people need to know that we're being bullshitted and plastering the planet with a million square miles of wind turbines and 600,000 square miles of solar panels. 600,000 square. Just so people understand what Jeff's saying here is that um, the so-called environmental leaders, uh, they all subscribe to the theories of um, this uh, is it the Stanford professor, I think. Uh, many subscribe to the theories of Mark Jacobson from Stanford. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Many, not, yeah. Not all of them, but many, many of them do. And basically what he says is that it's possible to replace all fossil fuels and all this with 100% renewable, 100% solar and, and, and wind. And, um, and, and then, well, tell the story. Some scientists decided to do a, a, a review, a study of his facts. Yeah, and, I'll say my part of it. And okay, what, and the the flaw the flaw in the th- in that whole thing was because of the intermittency, because of the lack of storage, because of the impossibility of doing doing storage on a global scale like this. He had slipped in the idea we would increase the hydroelectric less in, just in the United States for our needs by twelve times. Twelve times. That's the equivalent of a thousand large fossil fuel or nuclear plants running full blast. That was what the critics said that was a flaw in his theory. So he slipped into this, something that was impossible because he knew that solar and wind alone couldn't do it. And I'm just sitting there going, that doesn't make the news. I mean, uh, you know, there were a few news reports, but um, is that what you found, Ozzy, is that there are people who have found some of the same truths we have, but it just, it never get it never catches fire. It's almost like you can't well, question the green religion. It's not nearly as exciting. And yeah, we have this, it's, it is, it's, it's a religion that, that we're all kind of trapped in. And, you know, the film is very much on the front edge in the way that this doesn't get reported as much um, for the, for the reasons that we found out trying to release this film, you get accused of all kinds of things. Uh, if you, if you go forward with reporting and the, it's understandable that people are having a hard time kind of grappling with some of the facts in the film or some of the realizations in the film uh, because, because it is so new. Uh, and getting back to Jacobson, it, it is the Ivanpah, for example, that you see in the desert, uh, the giant solar installation um, that we're going to visit. Uh, his plan calls for thousands of those to be built. And the thousands of those that will be built are just to serve 7% of our energy needs. But we're on a planet where just in the past couple years, we've expanded our energy requirements so much that the just the expansion in the last couple years uh, of, of fossil fuel use has uh, basically is the equivalent of all of the solar cells and wind turbines that we've ever created, ever, all combined. Just our expansion in a couple of years wipes all of that out. So how can we possibly catch up? Well, the flaw was that he said that we can somehow put more, um, uh, get this without having to build more dams. And, you know, there's there's no way you could build 12 times more 
dams that, that already exist. Um, so that that was the flaw. And um, when he, when his own peers, uh, several scientists, um, called him out on this and wrote their own paper, he uh, actually um, sued them and tried to censor them uh, and get to, tried to get them to retract it. Um, he wound up withdrawing that lawsuit. But this this is this level of um, this is why it seems to border border on a religion to me, or maybe actually is a religion. First of all. Mark, J- Mark Jacobson and most of our critics are involved with either funding from or they stood up there with um, investment bankers. Um, some might call it hedge funds. I don't know what the actual definition is, but people that want to raise billions and trillions of dollars for this. Uh, and so once you put that stake in the ground. And make a profit off it. They are going to make a, I'm not saying Jacobson or even Bill McKibben no, or whoever. You know, hedge make, funds. Well, once you get into, yeah, those guys are going to make a profit from it green, um, green energy funds and once you set yourself up as our savior i've got this plan to save us that's um i think you get into some strange territory but you know ozzy says in the film something that's been controversial to some people that we'd be better off uh, burning the fossil fuels directly rather than playing pretend and some people go oh my god how could you say that it's like yeah ozzy why did you say that, that? <laughs> i'm serious yeah, you know, that's a good question. And and again, we're coming back to this issue of this film being on the front of an edge that has not really been explored very much. And um, so the one thing that we would expect is the idea that we have in our heads is that when we spend, you know, a certain amount of energy to build one of these arrays, then we get many times that much energy back. And if that were the case, that, you know, it would be great. And these would also be wildly profitable because if you can take one, you know, gala apple down to the market and get a bushel of gala apples back, um, then, you know, that's a, that's a really good deal. Uh, but what happens when you start to look into it is the, the money doesn't, the money doesn't really lie uh, it, when it comes down to it. And what we see is that if you want to build one of these plants and run it for its whole lifetime versus a conventional power plant, it costs three times as much. And so then the question is, well, the sun is free. Sunlight is free. So why is the Department of Energy saying that it's $240 a megawatt hour for solar thermal uh, versus just 75 for conventional uh, gas plant? Both uh, of these are built and fueled using industrial commodities. Uh, So their lifetime generation costs roughly end up boiling down through the materials and labor and so on into the fossil fuels that were ultimately used to, to, to create and operate them over their life spans. And so if solar thermal plants like Ivanpah are yielding that net energy, then they should be much less expensive than fossil fuels uh, that are used to make them and operate them, not three times the cost. And so that's the, the kind of like one of the first keys that, that things aren't quite adding up. Um, and even if we did pull that off, uh, as long as it's powering growth and being sucked up by the growth monster, it would presumably just lead to more habitat loss, not less, and more fossil fuel use over time and not less. And so when I stood in the Mojave Desert and planted the humans and said, we'd be better off burning the fossil fuels directly rather than playing pretend, it wasn't because I'm pro-fossil fuels. It's because the evidence shows that we are essentially just fooling ourselves and doing a great deal of destruction in the process. Uh, and, and ultimately, there's no such thing as clean energy. There's just a thing as less energy. And that's the story we need to be in. So I get that about this Ivanpah facility. You know, you show it very clearly in the movie. But do you believe that for, for all renewable forms of energy, that, that, that 
we'd be better off sticking because we we all know we're going to run out of fossil fuels. We know what it's done to the atmosphere. So to say something like that, it, it, I think it scared people. Even people, you know, they love the film, but they've they've written to us and said, you know, is that is is that really what you meant many people have also written and said thank god somebody finally said this and it gets back to what you said before the, the the question would you rather have us burn fossil fuels has a bunch of implicit assumptions which are incorrect you're assuming that by burning by operating ivanpah that as that generates electricity that it somehow it's causing us to close a fossil fuel plant you can't just put up an Ivanpah and close a fossil fuel plant. So it's not even a fair comparison. Secondly, um, you're discounting all of the damage and destruction that's being done to create Ivanpah or any solar facility or large wind facility um, that's now an additional on top of the fossil fuels. So yes, if in some magic universe, you put up solar panels and suddenly you weren't burning fossil fuels. I'd love that. That's not the reality. And so even asking the question doesn't even make any sense because nowhere in the world is solar and wind deployed and they shut out all, shut down all the fossil fuel plants, all the nuclear plants. Hooray, they're gone. Um, so, you know, we can, you can have models and projections, but in the real world, that's not what's happening. Um, so, like I said, you think it's the wrong question that's being asked. So, the wrong question. And let, so, let what me, would be the right question? The right question is: When are we going to come to understand that we're hitting limits, and we need to slow down and back up and put it in reverse? It's coming to understand that there's no magic technology, whether it's nuclear, renewables, or fossil fuels. If you believe in the infinite fossil fuel fairy, um, that's going to, to, to keep this industrial civilization at this level of consumption going it's headed towards the cliff people and the cliff is now arriving mm. and so we've got to come to grips with that or we're just going to continue to go off the cliff um but let me i'd like to if i may do you mind if i answer that because i yeah, didn't yeah. know ozzy that well when we were in the desert there <laughs> when he said that and he has his reason uh, and the reason i accepted that uh, was my own list of things, um, starting out with the fact uh, that you don't get to close down a fossil fuel power plant as you hear the actual experts charged with making the grid work in the film say. Um, but here's why I think it's a plain pretend. So first you had to spend all the fossil fuels, all the mining, all the destruction around the planet. It takes a globe's worth of mining, smelting, and processing to, and fossil fuels to create anything like Ivanpah or a solar PV array or wind turbine uh, array. Um, so then you have to alter and clear five square miles. You see that 500-year-old yucca plant being carved up. And then there's the endangered species, the desert tortoise that lives, used to live at Ivanpah, has seen a 90% decline since 1950. They found 770 at Ivanpah, adults and juveniles, and moved them to what, what effect. I've heard that, that many or most of them died. Um, then you think about the mining that went into this. Mining already is 10% of global energy emissions, 10%. Um, some people feel like the desert sequesters, some scientists say that the desert sequesters carbon. 
that's been diminished. Uh, in the Amazon, mining is already a top deforester in part of the Amazon, and 10% of the destruction of the Amazon is because of mining. Then you've got the transmission lines and the substations that you have to build for uh, solar arrays that are far away from where they're received. Transmission lines have a tremendous environmental impact and a tremendous amount of resources. You have the built-in natural gas plant. Then you have the baseload coal, nuclear, or gas running in the distance to keep the whole system stable. Then you have the fast-reacting gas plants for when it becomes dark or the wind just drops off. And then you, then they say, oh, we're going to interconnect to all the solar and wind. So then you're going to have other solar and wind arrays that supposedly are balancing this out. So this just becomes this ever more complex system um, that still doesn't escape uh, natural gas. And if you don't take my word for it, this is a quote from PV Magazine. Energy what is storage. What is PV Magazine? Photovoltaic Magazine. So this is like an industry. Ma- industry Energy. Magazine. Energy storage is not enough. A renewables grid needs flexible gas backup. Or how about this from the Washington Post? Turns out wind and solar have a secret friend, natural gas. Because these sources of electrical generation are intermittent, there has to be some means of continuing to provide electricity even when they go dark. And the more renewables you have, the bigger this problem can be. James Hansen, who we mentioned earlier as as the scientist that helped break climate change. I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but he said, basically, the more renewables you get, the bigger problem you have with intermittency. And that's why he's a fan of nuclear. And right in the middle of the Ivanpah scene, you see Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who's, I believe, connected with BrightSource, uh, one of the the company that built this and uh, investments in Ivanpah admitting to oil and gas industry insiders that you're going to need gas plants to make all this work. So to me, all this shouting and censoring and uh, flailing around is meant to distract people from what you see in the film. And we went great pains to great pains to actually go places to show you what's happening rather than to think about models or projections or, um, you know, so this, this, that's why I was okay with, um, uh, and that's what came to my mind when Ozzy said we'd be better off burning the fossil fuels than playing pretend because of all this additional rounds of destruction, fossil fuels, this, this, this desperate attempt to make something, anything work um, rather than face reality that we're hitting limits. And when you say hitting limits, explain that. What limits? Limits, fossil fuels are not going to last forever. And even if they do, burning them at this level is destroying us. And the only way to burn less of them is actually this thing called burning less of them. Um, the, the purity of the, the ores that we're mining have been going down and down. These materials are not going to last forever. Uh, right now, we're in a biodiversity collapse. There's a million species that are endangered, uh, according to the UN. And they say, you know, it's it's uh, we've used... Uh, one study showed that most of the major aquifers in this planet that we draw water from for our cities and for agriculture are being over-depleted. Um, half the topsoil in recent decades, I, actually, I think over the last century or so, is gone. Um, 90% of the large fish in the ocean, according to one study, are gone. According to another study, 75% of insects 
disappeared in 27 years. We've all seen that, right? There's no, you don't, you remember that we used to have to have carry an extra bottle of windshield wiper fluid just to drive across Michigan yeah, in the summer. That's true. If that you, doesn't if happen. We, if you were driving from Flint up to the northern part of the state, you'd have to, or you'd have to like pull over every hour at a gas station to do get the squeegee out because there'd be so many bugs, dead bugs on the windshield. You, we, you drive now from Flint up, up north, there's hardly a bug that hits the windshield. It's like, where did they go? You know, things like this happen and nobody ever notices it. You've, you've never had a conversation with anybody complaining about what happened to the bugs on the windshield. But we get these, we get these little tells, these little signs. And, you know, I'm, this is what we're, I mean, people are now, I think, aware of what's happened to the honeybees, what's happened to, you know, other things that, uh, um, that we used to see a lot of. And now they've starting or have disappeared. There's toxic algaes rising all across the world and climate change is a factor. One of the biggest factors is all the runoff and pollution from agriculture um, and from industry and from cities, uh, but especially agriculture. Um, You know, so we're, you know, there's just so much to talk about that the movie was meant to trigger. Um, There was a 2016 uh, UN study called uh, The Ravages of Guns, Net, and Bulldozers, Biodiversity, The Ravages of Guns, Nets, and Bulldozers. The authors of the study published in Journal, they found that the, this study uh, that was published in the journal Nature um, found that agricultural activity over exploitation were the two largest threats to biodiversity and to species extinction on Earth. Um, urban development um, invasion and disease, invasive species, uh, pollution, um, system modification like dam building, and climate change. Um, but f- their concern was that, that we're overly focused on climate change when right now all the, the expansion of all things human around the world are destroying species by species, acre by acre, um, the, the habitat that things require to live in, and also hunting and fishing, surprisingly, shockingly, are still highly involved with extinction. Um, so that's why I made this film to get these discussions going. And, um, you know, and it's been cut off. It's, it's, it's ex- extremely unfortunate. And unfortunately, I think it's a symbol of the time we live in, in which the right has clearly lost their mind, uh, clearly. And you can see the hate that's been happening this week, the horrible things that have happened. But we need to own how maybe we've lost our way. And some of us, I'm afraid to say this, some of our environmental leaders have really lost their way and are trying to shut down a movie that contains uh, truths and that, that they don't want you to hear. Um, <sighs> Jeff, <laughs> Ozzy, let's get into why, why the viciousness of the attacks on this film. It seems like, I mean, listening to you, I can understand why a lot of them are upset because you're going contrary to the story that they want to tell. It's a story that they get a lot of funding from various foundations. They are able to sell books. They, they, um, they're not willing to have a discussion with anybody who might want to say, Hey, it doesn't seem like this has worked all that well. Maybe we should all sit down and come up with a new plan, a new strategy. 
Um, you know, I, I think you listen to enough young people, you hear their anger about why w- these old people, us, are still calling the shots of this movement and not really having a new idea, just keep saying the same old thing. But something in this film, I mean, I've never seen anything like this in terms of it triggering. It's, it's like literally we had come after people's children or something. I mean, it's, it's, it's the defamatory nature, the slanderous nature of what they've called you guys, what they've called me. It's like, at first I was just laughing at it. And then it's like, wow, I did not realize that this film would expose that some of the people, the academics, the scientists, the political leaders of this movement, some of them are batshit crazy. I had no idea. I mean, I was really, I've been really shocked at how unglued and unhinged they are over this film. For me, I, th- I feel like it's, uh, I'm curious to what, see what you guys think about it, but it almost feels like one of those Rorschach inkblot tests, you know, the inkblots that they show you and they, they ask you what you see in them. And since the release of the film, I, I kind of feel like the film is acting like one of those. And as we're all sitting at the end of the film, like looking into the abyss, I mean, for people who have watched the film, you, you know what I mean? But I think people kind of read into it their own concerns and yearnings and fears. And in this case, the critics have claimed that the film advocates for any number of things that it doesn't like coercive population control, genocide, nuclear power, both for and against uh, classism, fascism, racism, return to the stone ages. Uh, And that's, I think that may just be because something very fundamental to our idea of growth and expansion and well-being is, is being unsettled. And uh, that might be part of it. What do you think, Jeff? It's very disturbing to see the attacks um, because we went to great pains knowing that there would be some controversy, not expecting this kind of uh, uh, just, you know, uh, over-the-top response. But, you know, I don't make much comment about anybody in the film. I, You know, I do have my opinions, um, but you hear environmental leaders, Bill McKibben, Al Gore, you hear Michael Bloomberg going, I'm, we're going to make another X million dollar investment in the Sierra Club. You hear Al Gore praising capitalism. You hear them in their own words. And it's kind of um, freaky to um, have people then take my movie, our movie, and recut it and to take things out of context to say, to say words that were, aren't even in there. We know we never say population control. We wouldn't say population control. I hate the concept. I thought that, and I, I think a lot of people can get this from watching the movie, I thought I would make a contribution by never mentioning population without mentioning consumption, especially in the Western world. It's the first film I know of, and I've been, that ties in population growth with consumption and then shows that consumption is this tremendous exploder of that and that it's all tied into industrial civilization and capitalism. Um, I thought all throughout the film, you'll hear this various language, a, a single species. How long do you think we have, we humans? Um, our total human impact, all the human cause changes to the planet. 
this film is a holistic look at who we are as a species told through the story of a misguided environmental movement that went took a wrong turn and started to believe that technology from industrial civilization, the thing destroying the planet, could save the planet. It's a story of the humans told through that very specific story. It's like war and peace is not really about, we don't even remember what the war was. It's about the human condition and war in general. Um, so to have that be singled out and put in hateful ways by people who their own activities are proposing are going to have mining and exploitation around the planet to make their green energy come true. Um, it's just, it's just mind blowing and people that should know better. Um, and I don't know how much, how much of it's ego. Like this is our environmental movement. You guys from Flint butt out. And, um, I don't know how much of it's, um, frankly, I hope there are some journalists that still exist in this world. How much of it's the money? Because as you see in the film, committing yourself to raise 40 to $50 trillion to generate the political will. And Al Gore, Bill McKibben sat on the stage with that billionaire. I didn't sit, I didn't make him sit there. Uh, we didn't have to look for that footage. It was just there. We didn't make Al Gore say use capitalism. We didn't make Al Gore lobby for biofuels for um, sugarcane ethanol in front of Congress. We didn't make Al Gore start an investment fund to profit from all this. Uh, this is the story we found when I asked the question, maybe I should look into the money. Um, and we still don't know the answer to that story. But uh, one thing I do know is we're not talking about people that have got $5,000 from some foundation to just keep afloat. We're, not, we're talking about the whole illusion that some of these groups are grassroots being shattered. 350.org? I don't think they just started out with a bunch of volunteers, strictly. Maybe that's partly true. But from day one, I think there was some big money involved. Ozzy, are you I, I trying to remember? Um, well, it started out as the brainchild of the Rockefeller Foundation with One Sky, and then they merged with uh, 350. Uh, and Bill McKibben was on the, the board of One Sky. And there was a very large amount of money, millions of dollars uh, spent uh, to merge the two together and bring them forward. I mean, just in the last uh, five years, uh, uh, 350 has brought in donations of around 66, over $66 million from foundations. And keep in mind that the, these foundations are part of the Environmental Grantmakers Association, um, and their boards of these foundations are principally bankers and industrialists. I mean, we have this idea that you know, maybe there's some like wealthy Rockefellers sitting around with their flannel shirts on in a lodge, just really concerned about the environment. But the the people who are on the boards uh, of these foundations are uh, are bankers and industrialists. Yeah, this is the part they don't want you to know. They don't. That's why when you see um, Bill McKibben is asked in the, in the film, "So where does your money come from?" and he's fumbling all around and. And I don't, you know, well, it's, you know, there's something from some, what's it called? Uh, he's trying to remember the name. And then he's asked about the Rockefellers. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. We got some money from the Rockefellers. He doesn't even, and he, and he says, you know, what, well, you know, where does our money come from? Well, what money we have is what he says. And it's it's like, so, you know, went and got the 990s. And I think the last reporting year that they reported, something like $19 million that they took in 
at 350.org. And for the five years before that, it was something like $66 million. Where's that money coming from? And what's it for? It's what I I don't, don't we have a right to ask that question? It's it's not a knock on him or even 350 and the good work that they do. It's just that something isn't right with what we call our movement, our environmental movement. And if we've done all this work and got all this renewable stuff going, how have we gone from, from below 350 parts per million to 417 parts per million as of now? How's it gotten that worse? So Jeff, I'm, you know, about the money, about the money that these uh, groups take in. Um, what's, what's going on with all that? What's, because if we're going to follow the money here to try to figure out what's wrong with our environmental movement, I think these questions have to be asked. They have to be asked. And, you know, one of the things that never comes up is the whole uh, divestment part of the film and then reinvesting in these green sustainable funds. And then you see that they contain, um, you know, mining and chemical companies and banks and logging companies that do biomass. Um, and still, even as of the release of the film, they contain logging companies that do biomass. So um, I was hoping that some people would be inspired to look into all of this besides us. But my biggest concern, again, uh, Al Gore is clear about trying to profit from this. Uh, never accused Bill McKibben of personally profiting from this. I have no idea uh, what his personal investment life is or even if he has one. But um the main thing is when you get into bed with people which are making a profit, do, do they change or do you change? And do they constrict the story that you're telling? I know that Al Gore and Bill McKibben have both talked about many of the things that are in the movie, but the movement got constricted to climate change is the thing and only, the only thing and renewables are our savior. Uh, that's been the centerpiece of everything. And um, I just think once you get into bed with people with, with, when trillions of dollars are at stake, um, it changes you. And um, I have a hunch that some of the money that uh, is behind this um, is connected to some of the bile and angst that we feel. And I hope that that comes out. Um, you know, what do we know about the, the person that's helped to um, get this film off YouTube and his group? Well, um, we know that uh, their group, their organization, their their company, I don't know what it is, have received money from the same people that fund 350.org. Just a very quick check. It took about a day to see what's the money behind this and what are the connections. And it turns out that the, um, these uh, this company in, in Britain that uh, is behind this taking down the taking down the film and preventing people from seeing it. Um, they're, uh, they've been a paid consultant for the guardian. Now the guardian, after giving us a very wonderful four-star review by their film critic in the entertainment section, uh, the guardian has attacked this film in their news section in their opinion section, uh, pretty relentlessly. And it turns out that the people behind the takedown of this film, um, have, uh, conducted workshops and things like that for, the staff at the Guardian, 
um, as to how they should cover climate change. And you start to see all the interconnections between, you know, they get the same money that Bill McKibben gets from the same Rasmussen fund. They get, they work with the guardian who's, you know, is part of this climate desk organization with these other publications that they've all committed to covering climate change in one particular way, not considering any other things that should be discussed and not allowing other voices. We have submitted two, if not three op-eds to the guardian. They will not publish an op-ed from us. They will own. That's a good point. People think that maybe we're not responding. We no, we've been trying to respond. A lot of time. I yeah. mean, and that's ever not just the Guardian. Uh, Newsweek ran an op-ed from one of these uh, these uh, so-called climate scientists. Um, we wrote an answer to that. They wouldn't publish it. Common Dreams, this liberal uh, uh, website that publishes just about everybody and anything, um, they've run three. Uh, pieces against this film we wrote one we wrote something for them they said no we won't publish it it's been non-stop they not only have taken the film down and and silenced our voice uh so-called liberal media um will not publish what we write even when we're just trying to respond to the things that they've said uh there's a huge clampdown and that should make everybody not only pretty nervous about the, the state of our press these days, but also it speaks volumes about what they don't want you to know. They don't want you to see this film. They don't want you to consider what we're saying. They don't want to face us down in the great debate. They just want to attack, smear, slander, recut the film and then put it up as if that was the scene. Tell, tell the public that this film is saying this or that. See, this is what the mistake. If I were advising them, it's like, don't tell the public that the film says something that it doesn't say, because they're going to go watch the film for free on YouTube. And then you know what they're going to think of you? You're a friggin' liar. You're a liar. And they're going to not listen to you in the future. You've hurt your cause deeply by trying to smear this film, by making things up about this film. And when we go back on, and we will go back on, you will be able to see this film very shortly. Uh, they won't be able to stop us. Um, yeah, and can we talk about some of those lies that they've gotten away yes, with? Yes, please. Like, um, oh, somehow we singled out and said that solar panels are only 8% efficient. Uh, you know, that's old data. Well, yeah. Yeah. Anybody who watches documentaries know that they're filmed over a period of time. And, you know, I made no claim that, Oh, this is what every solar panel in the world is. It's just what I happened to find at the one place where somebody mentioned, um, the, the efficiency of the solar panels. But, you know, those happen to be thin film solar panels. You can see it right in the movie. They're flexible. Uh, they're cheaper and they're easier to install. And lo and behold, if you look up, um, I, I found an article about Tesla rooftop solar panels, flexible ones. And this industry expert calculated that the efficiency depended on how you measured it came out to 4% to 10%. So let's just say 
So the Tesla solar panels right now that are of the same general type are 10%, and the ones in the movie that were flexible were 8%. Um, I never expected people wouldn't do their own research. It's just getting at the basic point that these things are not, you know, it's, uh, they're not 100% efficient. And even if they were, I mean, Ozzy, if they were 100% efficient, we'd be all be saved, right? That would just be... <laughs> Well, the problem is that there's theoretical limits to increasing the efficiency very high. But uh, yeah, e even at the time that those were installed, uh, they could have installed 16% efficient solar cells. They were available then too. and uh, But they would have cost twice as much. So the, the utility would have been able to afford half as many of them, and they would have the same production. Um, so that's that's why the, the efficiency is is an issue that's not even... Um, so when they say that you filmed this 10 years ago these guys with their solar panels at 8% efficiency back then, that there that many of the new solar panels today are still around 8 to 10%. And, and that the, I love the attacks that say, oh, it's no longer, he's got old footage. It's no longer 8%. These solar panels are now 16%. And I'm like, 16%, that's it? That's all in these 10 years since you started making this film? It's gotten to be, it's at 16%. Now you're telling me, well, there were some that were 16% 10 years ago. There's been no accomplishment here. You wouldn't, if your cell phone was only 16% efficient, would you be using that cell phone? Would you be using anything that was 16% efficient? The way that this, that these, these, whoever these people are that say there are environmental movement that where they, they just make this stuff up and then talk about it like it's a good thing that, that hey yeah no 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 we're at 16 percent now or 20 you know they're saying they're 20 you know 16 18 20 22 percent there are some solar that are 30 percent but now we've wasted some time buried in the weeds of what technology is going to bail us out uh you know and my position is even if somebody came down from the sky and gave the humans infinite free clean energy you know Oh, look, nuclear, infinite free. Somehow we don't have waste problems. We don't have mining problems. We don't have, uh, you know, we don't have to use millions of tons of concrete to put, to build nuclear plants. Um, you know, that unless we humans come to grips with, that we're hitting limits, uh, we're still doomed. It doesn't matter what energy source we use to power ourselves. Because but of our consumption. Because of our consumption and our continued growth and the fact that we're already, um, We've already blown past, past many planetary limits. I mean, we hear that by October, we've um, exceeded our planetary boundaries. Well, there's a lot of critics who say that that's, that's way too, um, uh, too nice. I mean, that we've, you know, we've blown past the planetary boundaries each year way sooner than that. I think. What does that mean, planetary boundaries? In other words, um, we're using way more resources then can be replaced by our living planet. And, and, um, and so we're, that's only being sustained by this giant plume of fossil fuels, this giant plume of oil uh, and natural gas now that's displacing the coal, that's keeping this game running, but the living planet cannot support uh, this level of human presence. But just to go back to the 8% thing for a minute, it's even worse than that, because let's say that they were 100%. Uh, efficient. They're intermittent and they only produce, you know, energy part of the time. 
And in Michigan is 13% on average. So what that means is that 87% of their capacity, you, you can explain it better, Ozzy. I mean, the capacity factor. Yeah. So there's, a, well, there's a lot of reasons and, you know, it can do with anything from the sun angle to dust or haze or rain or hail or heat or nighttime. Uh, there's a lot of time that the solar cells are producing um, much below their capacity. Uh, they never really reach their capacity uh, ever, except for possibly in the middle of the day uh, in the, in a desert. Um, and so on average, it's on, in Michigan, it's 13%. Uh, globally, it's, it's under 20%. Uh, and so what do you do the other 80% of the time? And it's also not dispatchable. You can't just use it when you need it. Uh, it just comes when it comes. And so then you introduce storage. And you have to have a battery system or some other kind of system to store the energy for when you need it. Uh, and then that, of course, now you need another le- another layer of uh, mining and resource extraction and fossil fuel use, uh, which is why all of these are so expensive. And also why after spending a trillion dollars on these technologies, um, they don't even equate to the amount of increase in fossil fuel use that we're experiencing in just a couple of years. So that is that gap, you know, in California, I think it's 30% uh, as the capacity factor, 70% of their uh, ability to generate electricity is not used because of clouds, the wind drops off nighttime, all these things. Uh, that's why you have to have all these other energy sources backing them up around the clock. Um, and it's just, so the efficiency of the solar panels, if I put a hundred percent efficient solar panels on my roof, they would still only be generating uh, but they wouldn't be generating energy reliably around the clock. So you're hooked up to the grid or you have to buy a bunch of batteries. How do you, um, feel, you know, listening to them say, this is all old data. You've been working on this for so many years. You're so well-versed in this. Uh, Ozzy, uh, you know, you've written. That's what, actually one of the strengths of the film because the, the film doesn't fall prey to what we see in so many uh, like of these didactic uh, environmental films where it's just like people talking about uh, things that just happened. Uh, and uh, this is a historical story that takes place that starts 50 years ago and then follows Jeff um, through the 2008 crisis, um, which is when those scenes were filmed. It's very clear in the film that that's what's happening at that time. We don't, we don't pass off old data as if it's new. Uh, which is what they're trying to say that we're doing. Um, it's a story of one person, and it still applies today, uh, the findings of the film. And so this story of Jeff um, is telling a higher truth um, that isn't um, that, that, that broke through his religion. Um, and it's a metaphor for the larger situation that we find ourselves in. Uh, and that's what makes the film so powerful. It's, it's, it's not old data. Uh, to, to characterize a story as old data is, is a smear tactic. Uh, and, and people who watch the film I, pick up on that and see that. And people should notice you know, they don't want to um, mention that all of our charts and graphs are from the most recent year available when you see this gigantic increase in fossil fuel uh, production in the United States the last period of time, you know, that's current data. When you see that biomass is dominating uh, 
the renewable energy world, uh, biomass and hydroelectric, actually, which um, you know, that's that's current data. When you see a solar festival a while back, uh, early on, where I really did just go to have some fun and to chill out and and you know just to ask some questions. Uh, when you see that the, the festival was not being powered by the solar panels, and then you see an Earth Day from a, a more recent Earth Day from a few years ago, um, near present, that's also saying they're being powered by solar festivals by solar panels and they're not. Um, you know, you see Tesla, uh, the Gigafactory. That's that's fairly recent still being hooked up to the grid. You see the Apple uh, data center that's still hooked up to the grid. Uh, they say, well, that doesn't matter. Well, it matters because they've said that you don't need all these other power plants as backup and to make the whole thing whole. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a very current film, but, you know, nobody would go see a film that was like this year's data uh, put into graphs and charts, and it would be meaningless because it's not a story. And believe me, if we put out a movie right now with data from 2018 and 2019, they'd go, oh, we've got new the next new thing coming along. And that is the very lie that's being told, that somehow there's this magic, miraculous energy source. It's this magic technology that's essentially not going to really harm the planet. Um, and it'll soon be ours. And then we can be the good people, the chosen people um, who are on the side of right and justice and wouldn't hurt a thing. Um, and that's really, when you want to talk about racism, that is the racism right there. Because that is those of us that are well off, people like me that can afford an iPhone, you know, and a computer and, a, and, and cameras and solar panels if I wanted them. It's those of us that are using this to rationalize our consumption, our hedonism, our lifestyles that for many of us you know, many are struggling, but there are people in this country that would make Roman emperors blush. And we're using this story of green technology to cover up our own exploitation of people around the world, species around the world, ecosystems around the world for our own frickin' benefit. That is a real racism. And so when they talk about population control, uh, which you don't use those words in the film, um, what are they, what, because that's what they really try to say, oh, this is racist. And, and it's like, no, it's, we're the people who are saying that, um, especially women in poor countries where we cut off, we, the United States, you know, what, 30, some maybe longer years ago, uh, any kind of family planning or help to people in the third world because of the right to life movement here. Um, they didn't want any of that happening. Um, and so it just seems like, I mean, how do you, how do you do Cause this is one, this one just kills me. This but, is crazy because this is such, it's so crazy. It's become a, you're an eco-fascist. If you say that women should, should be, have access to birth control around the world. If you, if you say that we should take care of everyone with a basic standard of living and, People tend to have fewer children. I think that's what the research says. But yet- when we when we end poverty, when we when we end the exploitation of American corporations in the third world, who use the third world people and their resources to make every damn thing that we use in our lives here in this country, the, that exploitation that keeps them keeps them in their place, keeps them in a, in a way where. 
they are not able to enjoy uh, a standard of living that would ever, ever come anywhere close to ours because we would never let that happen. Well, you want to talk about ecofascism. You know, just research what's done in the name of rare earths in China, which is the actually what was removed from the film, ironically. Just take a look at what's happened to those people in that landscape working in that environment. You want to talk about ecofascism? Take a look at what's happened around the world for lithium mining. Take a look at what's happened for cobalt for electronics. You know, take a look what's happened to, to indigenous people where land has been cleared for the growth and consumption in the Amazon. Take a look at the tribes that have been destroyed and lost their lives fighting logging and mining. You know, take a look in this country at the exploitation. Um, you know, they, they want to mine in the Black Hills, these sacred lands for these minerals that we need. And why don't we have these mines here? Because they're too freaking environmentally destructive. We're all in this together, and it's all of our consumption and expansion, and capitalism and economic growth. Uh, but the ridiculousness of, of, of calling us these, um, these names, are they going to call Bindi Irwin a population control freak and an eco-fascist for talking about population and, and talking about women's rights? Are they gonna t what are they going to say to Jane Goodall, who talks about population? Are they going to throw her under the bus? Or how about David Attenborough? who's long talked about population and has actually called out environmentalists for refusing to include it as part, just like we say in the film, as part of the overall expansion of the, of all things human that's driving this forward. I attempted to, again, introduce the holistic way of looking at this. I would never talk about population separately from consumption. I think it's unethical and inaccurate, uh, but the ridiculousness of this in 2019, the UN study um, that found 1 million species in danger because of human activity, 1 million, said, I quote, the world's population has doubled since 1970, 50 years ago, the first Earth Day. The global economy has grown fourfold while international, while international trade has increased 10 times over. The exact same litany of related things that we talk about in the movie. The World Wildlife Fund in their Living Planet Report 2018 warned, we are living through the great acceleration, a unique event in the 4.5 billion year history of our planet. With exploding human population and economic growth driving unprecedented planetary change through the increased demand for energy, land, and water. But you don't believe them? Um, there's some guy uh, called Bill McKibben who wrote a book called Maybe One, A Case for Smaller Families. And this is from his webpage describing the book. McKibben maintains that bringing one and no more than one child into this world will hurt neither your family nor our nation. Indeed, it can be a step towards an optimistic future. Bill McKibben recognizes that, that the transition to a stable population size won't be easy or pain-free, but ultimately is inevitable. Wait a minute. Wow. Okay, wait. Yeah, hang on a second here. You're <laughs> okay. We didn't know this when we were making the movie. Um, you're telling me that that all this attack on you and on this film uh, because of mentioning population is uh, racist. The the people attacking the film the acolytes of, of Bill McKibben and others 
who who sort of do themselves in in the film. Nothing that you do, Jeff. They just speak. You let them speak, and it's awful. And you're t- you're telling me when did this come up? You're telling me wait a minute. When did this? When did he, what's the book called? Maybe one. Meaning one child, like like just have. When when did he write this book? When did this book come out? I don't know when it came out, but it's still on his website. He hasn't disowned it, you know. And and see, I believe that they actually all know and understand the truths that are in the film. It's just that they drifted away from those. And I was so happy to see Bill McKibben go on sixty minutes, not say a word about solar panels, not say a word about green investments. Recently, yeah, recently, and he said that we have to deal with growth, basically. And too much growth. If he growth, means he, that, he doesn't. I mean, he's not talking about population growth. He's talking about the growth that that corporate America, Wall Street, capitalism demands that all companies grow over their last year. Right? They've got to make more money, yep. more profit, make more things, and the more that that's done, that it intertwines itself and destroys our environment. And that's why that this film, you have to understand, opposes these people that call themselves green capitalists, because that's an oxymoron. If, if you are a capitalist, if you believe in that system of making a profit and exploiting the planet, because you're making a profit so that the few at the top get to be very, very rich and everybody else fights for the crumbs. You can't be an environmentalist and be a capitalist in that sense. And I think that's, Jeff, really why so many of these people are out to kill this film and shut you up because the, this film is a direct hit at the way that our environmental movement has been sold out to these corporate and Wall Street interests and, and foundations that get their money from all sorts of things that we would all oppose. And it's it, now you're telling me this, that, that the very people that have been attacking you in the film for this population thing, that they've supported this idea of one child for quite some time. And yeah, and that's not, that's not my idea. I mean, it's, that's Bill McKibben's idea. And I, again, um, it's, we didn't make a population movie. We're just trying, I was just wow, trying to holistically bring so up, up all of these factors. And I got another one for you here too. Um, guess who said this? We are witnessing a collision between our civilization and the earth. There are three factors causing this collision. The first one is population. The first one, the first one is population. The first one is population. Who are you going to tell me said this? Al Gore in an inconvenient truth. That line is in an inconvenient truth. In fact, he shows a a chart very similar to mine, uh, to ours with, with the population increase. But he doesn't do what we did, which is to also show you the consumption. And then he doesn't do what we did, which is to start talking about, um, you know, capitalism and industrialism because he, you know, embraced that. He also, his second point was um, something about technology. The technological revolution is great, uh, but this new power also gives us a great responsibility to think about its consequences. So he actually briefly critiques technology as well. Um, and he actually comes back around to saying, of course, you know, that it's a, in the United States of America where we have this high, he doesn't use the word consumption, but we have the highest impact on the, on the planet. 
uh, because of that. So he does broaden it out a bit, but yeah, it's um, these vicious attacks are just are crazy. Um, and I think it's, a, you know, I don't know for sure. I don't know these people. I think the money and the prestige and the ego has something to do with it. But I also know that people that feel guilty and know that they're wrong sometimes scream the loudest. Mm. Right. And lash out those who n- know that we're right. Yeah. Yeah. No, you've ripped off the mask. You've ripped off the clothes from the king kings of this thing they're mostly men by the way that run these foundations and organizations um and make it maybe took us maybe it took three men to rip the mask off this male dominated white rich upper class environmental movement right three men well from flint from flint who who were raised in the working class and um you know these people are running running these big groups they're not from the working class. They're certainly not from the working class right now. And they, um, I have felt this. I actually just have to watch the scene with, with you trying to interview Bill McKibben there, uh, in the movie. And he does not want to talk to you. Who are you? You know, you don't look like you went to Harvard. Like I did. (laughs) You know, this is, this is, um, I don't know. This has been yeah, such an eye-opener. Yeah. I still want to say something that, about that because I was crushed by that, you know, that the environmental leaders and then Bill McKibben were um, – I was crushed by that. I was very disturbed. And even you now, know, though – The way that they blew all, you off, Bobby Kennedy Jr. and, you know, all of that. It's not the way they blew me off. The way they blew off their responsibility to just simply say, we're not going to be burning nature – for green energy. Their inability to do that is what crushed me. I don't care how they treat me, frankly. I care, but that's not the point of it. And But even now, if Bill McKibben coming out saying that we're, you know, um, that we've got to do something about growth, meaning, I believe, you know, uh, the expansion of the economy and that, that kind of growth, um, my hand is out. You know, I'd, I'd like an apology. I'd like them to, you know, to um, admit what they've done. But the most important thing is to move forward. And I'd like all of them to come around to, we've got to fight this beast, to, you know, that's been, our total human presence is one layer of it. It's industrialism and capitalism is another layer of it. And climate change falls within that. And if I'll forgive any of them if they come around and even just ignore me and just go help us head in the right direction. Because we are heading towards the cliff. And that's why I made the freaking movie. Um, not because I give a rat's ass to be honest with you about green energy or nuclear or, you know, I, I don't want to spend my time debating these things. It's because we've been in the wrong story. And unless we get in the right one, we're, we're screwed. That's why I made this film. So what are we going to do to get it back up so that people can see it? I mean, this is, I just have never had this happen in my 30 years as a filmmaker where um, in this movement to take it down was started by other documentary filmmakers who are all tied in to the eco-industrial complex, um, the green capitalism. Uh, they, they, they have fought for five weeks to get this film shut down, to prevent people from seeing it. And they finally succeeded. They came, they came up with a, it's a really good idea. 
they, they, they think they found four seconds that they thought violated the copyright laws, which it doesn't, by the way. And um, we don't put anything out without this being thoroughly vetted by our lawyers. And um, so we will have this, we will have it back up. Um, this movie is going to be available um, to people to watch. And uh, if I have to drive around in my van and with the projector, um, people are going to see this film and uh, they're not going to get away with it. That's for sure. And, you know, hopefully we'll have it back up sometime this week. We need an outcry. You know, where are our allies in the uh, documentary world? Where are our allies in Hollywood? Where are the, uh, the rights people? Because this is an expansion of censorship. This is, this is new territory. And I, to be perfectly honest, um, take this out if you want, but I'm not a big fan of uh, Facebook and Twitter and everybody serving as the, uh, the fact police. You know, we've got to have a world in which people do their research. And as soon as we have these systems, YouTube, um, you know, I don't know where they fell in this or what happened, but as soon as we have, um, the, you know, uh, the police out there deciding what stories can be told, um, you know, we're, we're in trouble. Yeah. I want to say uh, to both of you in closing, um, you know, I've gone through this <laughs> so many times. I'm used to it. Uh, nothing surprises me uh, anymore, even from uh, liberals and uh, um, people who say that they're on the left uh, when they, they, you know, really aren't. But um, geez, you know, some, oh, how many years ago would that have been? 30, 34 years ago, um, I, uh, I, I, I was in San Francisco. Uh, see, I was working there, and I, I got my comeuppance from a bunch of liberal lefty types uh, who did not want my brand of journalism from Flint. Uh, and I remember, um, running into somebody, columnist, actually was a, he was a columnist in the San Francisco Examiner and, uh, went out, went out one night with him for dinner and he said, yeah, I'm really sorry what's happened to you here in San Francisco. They've had the flint beaten out of you. Um, but, um, he said the, the reason for that is that liberals, basically, um, these kind of liberals, now I'm talking about not the people, not you who are listening to the show, but I'm talking about these elite liberals who, who fight anything good that comes from the working class. Um, he said these, these elite liberals, they love humanity, uh, but they just, you know, they just hate people. <laughs> <laughs> I kept kept that in my head all these years, so that so that when I am attacked by this type, um, I, I know who they are. I know they didn't grow up the way I grew up, and um, I know that they, um, for whatever reason, they've always despised those of us who come from the place like Flint, that where we come from, and and um, you know that's okay. You know, they don't have to like us, uh, but they really don't like our politics um, because we're going to call them out on things. We're not going to take shit. And that's the case with this film, this censorship, this banning of the film. They will rue the day that they did this because I'm going to make sure that this doesn't happen again. 
to somebody else. I mean, if they really thought they could get away with this with me, believe, what about the, the next young filmmaker that comes along? What are they going to, this, this will have a chilling effect on them as they think about, no, maybe we better not put that in the film if we upset the liberal elites. You know, they could stop us. They could make sure we don't get distributed, et cetera, et cetera. This can't be because we're going to miss out on some incredible journalism and some incredible documentaries if they if they become at all afraid because of what they've seen that's happened to this film. So for them, really, for them alone, I'm going to make sure that not only will this film be back up very shortly uh, so that everybody can watch it, um, I'm going to make sure the people that did this, and I don't mean just this, this little operation in, in the UK, but all the people that are part of the, the smear campaign, the attacks on this film, cowards. They couldn't just debate us. They couldn't just say, okay, we think your film is wrong and here's why. And then we'd say, well, here's what we think. And here's our backup, et cetera. And maybe, maybe the other side will have a good idea. And we'll go, oh, I didn't think of it that way. And maybe they would think we might have a good idea. That's, that's not what they, that's not the discourse that they wanted to have happen here. They wanted us to, they wanted, they wanted to shut us the fuck down. And for the last six or seven days, that's exactly what they've done. I'm apologized to the people who are listening to this, who have attempted in the past few days to go and see this film that has created such a ruckus that you can't see it. I'm sorry that there are people that think of themselves as liberals or on the left that would participate in any kind of campaign to shut this down. Um, but you've got us. And we we don't really, I don't know how to say this, speaking on behalf of Ozzy and Jeff, we don't really give a shit. Just like Jeff just implied, seriously, if if we real if we lost, if they took us down from everywhere, we'd still make sure you see the film. Right down to the, they can come and friggin' arrest us if they want. You are you live in a free country, supposedly. <laughs> What's left of it? We're we are not going down without a fight, and you're going to see this film. I can guarantee you that right now. So whoever's thinking about continuing to try to stop us. Or to take us down again. It's not going to happen. You should give up. And you better figure out what you're going to do. Because now you've opened our eyes to what you're really about and who you really are. And what you've done to our environmental movement. And so now the people are going to learn about that in the coming months and years. Because now you're on our radar. And we know that you're bad. You're you're bad for this country. You're bad for this planet. I wish I didn't have to say that about you. But if you would do this to us, God forbid what you would do to others, what you've probably already done to others. Who else have you shut down over the years? Where else have you taken the money? (laughs) Those are facts. They're available. I'm sorry. I'll apologize now in advance. You shouldn't have fucked with us. And you shouldn't have fucked with the people listening to this podcast who'd like to watch the movie. All it is is a movie, my God. Why would you risk all that you've gained 
from being a bi-environmentalist. <laughs> Your green capitalism. Why would you risk that over a movie? It's a movie. I'm so sorry. I am really sorry. I, I admired a lot of you for what you've done over the years. I'm sorry you lost your way. We'll try to make this as painless as possible. Jeff Gibbs, writer and director of Planet of the Humans, Ozzy Center, producer of Planet of the Humans. Um, thanks for taking the time here to talk about this. A lot of people have been have been writing and asking where where's the movie? What happened? Why is there a black screen when you go to the YouTube channel? That well, we've told you here today why. And um, um, we are fighting. We have fought since day one of this film being released. And um, we hope that this has inspired a journalist or two to really check into what's going on, what's behind this. Um, and that story will be told. So thank you, everybody. Jeff, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for giving us a chance to, um, you know, speak. This is one of the last outlets we have, I'm sad to say. Yeah, well, that doesn't make me happy. Thank you, though, for saying that. But we're, we need more people doing this. Uh, some of you who are listening need to, like I say at the beginning of every episode, thanking our, our one underwriter. Uh, get your own podcast going, folks. You know, you've got, you've got 10 people that will listen to it, and they've got 10 people. And now suddenly you've got 100. And in a few weeks, you'll have a thousand. Imagine that talking to a thousand people uh, once a week. Think about doing that. Um, and uh, Ozzy, thank you. Um, I'm sorry for what this has put you through. Um, it's my pleasure. Not not all pleasure, but <laughs> I signed up for. I'm going to say yes. This is serious masochism going on there in San Francisco. But. Uh, but uh, um, you know, thank you for enlightening me on so many things and, uh, and pointing me in the right direction as to what the real facts are. And um, I knew I knew we'd have to put up with some crap. I, I didn't realize it would be actual censorship from uh, so-called liberals. So um, we'll get it back up, folks. Planet of the Humans, look for it, hopefully in the next uh, few days. Um, and um, watch the film. Let us know what you think. It's, it's free. Uh, we've, we've made it available for another month now for free. Um, so take advantage of it and, and make, make sure your friends and family get to see it too. It's only 98 minutes. You're still in, you're still in semi, semi lockdown. So it's a, it's a, you won't regret it. I'm telling you, especially you just, your mind is going to be blown minute after minute. And speaking of minute after minute, by the way, all the things that we talked about here today, we have on the site on planetofthehumans.com uh, what's called our fact check Bible. We do this with everyone, every film I'm involved with has a has a minute by minute footnoting of every fact that's mentioned in the film with with source material that you can click on and you can go read the facts and the backup for this for these facts. It's all there. They're hoping you don't know that or that you won't do that or whatever. But if you have any question about anything that they say that's in the film or they invent, they make up and say it's in the film, go to the fact check Bible. Um, go to the, 
go to the FAQ section there on planetofthehumans.com. And um, we're, we're very transparent. We put it all up there. And um, um, and we'll see you. We'll see you with the movie here in the next next few days. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This is Rumble with Michael Moore. I'm Michael Moore. Thank you, Jeff Gibbs. Thank you, Ozzy Center. And uh, thank you to everybody out there who believes in free speech and to everybody who's uh, sending your support and love uh, to the people of Minneapolis and all the other uh, places where our fellow citizens who are African-American are brutally murdered by the police month after month after month after month. This must end, and we are all committed to that. Um, Absolutely. All of you. Yes. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll be back here on Rumble um, in, the, in the next uh, few days. Take care. Thank you.